Hey everyone, in the coming months, we're going to switch out some of our interstitial music and feature our good friend James Byer and his wonderful snare drums, Byer Snares. We're going to have a feature snare drum of the week with a good friend, Mark Beckett, and former guest, and we'll tell you what the snare drum is and how it sounds, and in one or two of the breaks during the episode, you'll hear a real example of the Bayer snare drum in action. We'll let you know who the drummer is and which snare drum they're using. We'll also include links to the performances in the show notes. And of course, we'll include a link to the website where you can find out more information about the Bayer snare drum. This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer, educator, and author Stephen Taylor. Stephen is the founder and owner of StevensDrumshed.com, as well as the creator of the Drum Better Daily System. The website is membership-based and offers a way to learn the drums online in an organized and goal-oriented fashion. Stephen began his online drumming school officially in 2011. His experience in the industry as a performer as well as a student of important teachers in his life has been a major ingredient in his approach to teaching. His drumming started at an early age and took him from working nightly in clubs on Bourbon Street in New Orleans to living and working in Nashville, Tennessee, where he played and toured with independent and major label artists, as well as working with an original project that was signed with Universal Republic Records. He has a passionate focus to bring online drum education to drummers around the world. Stephen has written three drum method books and also offers downloadable video drum lesson packs and individual lessons on his site. If you're interested in finding out more about this episode and all of the over 250 episodes that we've done here at Working Drummer Podcast, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, where you can subscribe to us. You can also follow us and subscribe to us on Spotify. Check us out there. One thing that we'd like to do is show our gratitude to some of our Patreon members. We've got some recent members that have just joined us, Jimmy Allison, Rick Jones. Uh, We've got Dean Cook, Nikeo Wallace, and Michael Collins. They've all joined within the last uh, few months or six months. Uh, Sean Newman, Matt Waddell, Dave Nanke, or Nink, Jonathan Hawk, Scott Nosworthy, Isaac Sanchez, James Osborne, and Matt Middleton. We appreciate all of you supporting the podcast. Our most recent contribution on Patreon is from our former guest, Steve Haas. He's got a great video on the concept of click chasing and how to strengthen your time feel when playing with the click. He also introduces a fun and creative way of applying a simple 16th note sticking pattern as triplets within a fill, soloing, or groove ideas. So if you are a member of Patreon, you can check out this great video by Steve Haas. Patreon isn't your thing, then we have a PayPal option on our website. You can go there and make a one-time donation. We appreciate everyone's help over the years in keeping this podcast going strong. So Stephen Taylor is one of those guys that you may not think you know who he is, but when you see uh, him online, you're like, oh yeah, I've seen his videos before. Uh, We've been following him for a number of years, and he does great work. Even just the free content that he puts on his YouTube page really gives you an idea that if this is the free stuff, you know that if you sign up for a school, it's going to be really involved and customized for you. Uh, More recently, he posted a great video where he had uh, three great Nashville session drummers, Dan Needham, Steve Brewster, Scott Williamson, 
uh, all play the same short instrumental. And then actually Stephen includes himself in that mix. And uh, they all do an amazing job and show you just the different approaches to playing the same song. It's, it's very educational and informative. That's what really got me excited about reaching out to Stephen and having him on our podcast. So really enjoyed my conversation with Stephen. I hope you do too. Here is uh, Stephen Taylor. You had a great YouTube clip of three players that you hired to do a session for you for a short song. And it was, you know, Dan Needham, Steve Brewster, Scott Williamson. I loved it, man. It was it was inspiring, um, but it was also like, okay, there's three voices and three amazing voices. You know, that, that was that's one example of just, uh, I think that drum education um, has been become pretty stagnant, pretty boring for me. Uh, not in learning the drums is boring. I think that people have just ceased to be creative with it at times. And so, you know, generally it goes, here's this interview with this drummer, and we'll talk about their touring and their experience. Here's the, or we'll go in chronological order and, mm-hmm. you know, from the beginning all the end. Or here's this drum lesson, and there's either, whether it be like a magazine where there's this sheet music and there's a guy talking you through it, or it's a video and the same thing with they talking you through a lesson. That's, you know, that's the gist of how we've learned, you know. And for me, I'm like, man, I, so many of my lessons came from, watching just watching going and and shadowing a drummer and saying mm-hmm. hey would you let me just can i just come to the session with you would you let me just watch yeah. and taking notes on like why in the world did he do that with his foot why in the, you know that those things were way more educational to me why did he approach the bridge that way what and so uh so i've got a lot more ideas actually uh, of of how i'm going to kind of begin to bring some of that out we're already working on the second video in that series by the way uh there's some really <laughs> some really fun players gonna be on it That's um great. so um but yeah the to your question about the drum shed um steven's drum shed is the website that mm-hmm. my online drum school is um hosted at and it is i i like to make a a, a very uh solid line that we I, I don't just do online drum lessons it is an online drum school and so yeah. mm-hmm. with that comes the structure and the curriculum and the accountability and uh, the focus that you would expect with a school and so you are not you know at my school you're not dumped into a page with uh, hundreds of drum lessons where you have to sort through things or maybe there is a a curriculum that you could follow but there's so much other clutter that it it masks that one thing that you would want to get a hold of um you know when you start my big thing is you need to assess we need to assess where you are you can do that either personally or i'll you know i have a goal generator that they can fill out send to me and i'll help them get together a personalized lesson plan um i've been doing those for years and i still do them all myself and um i do them once a week now i batch them because i get so many so it's like i can't do those every day so i just batch them and, and i get those out about once a week um, and so it has to do with either going through the automated self-assessment process that we have uh, and then getting some curated content uh, that, that we think would fit you. You can go through the manual assessment where you use the goal generator or you can do it yourself and say, you know, what, I want to work on this. But the goal is that you pick a chorus and you stick with that chorus until you're done. It's very simple. And then you just work the once you're in that chorus, if you're working on hand technique, I don't want you to go 
check out, you know, funk songs. It's not what you're working on. You're working on hand technique and you should finish it. So I spend a lot of my time answering students, uh, you know, them saying, hey, I'm, I'm getting a little bogged down in this. Maybe I should move on from it. And I spend a lot of time saying, no, you actually should finish what you started. <laughs> you know, we're going we're gonna to finish what we started. So keep going until you're done. And then they get done and they have that feeling of accomplishment and then they can go on to the next one. And so uh, that's kind of the difference is that uh, instead of a general just jump into a bunch of lessons, they come and we get them plugged in where they need to be plugged in. And then you just, you do the work and we've got a great community. The campus is, there's, I call it drummertainment. There's a, another area that is for entertainment. You can watch some interviews, you can do some play alongs. You can, uh, you know, uh, we have the tech talk section where it's all about tuning and gear and that stuff. There's yeah. uh, the community section of the site, which is the forums, the live Q and A's that we do, the, the student calls, all that stuff is part of the community aspect of it. Um, but really the, the, the core of it is um, the curriculum and deciding what you need to work on. And then, and, and two, why are you playing the instrument? I think all too often people skip that question. Hmm. They go to, what am I supposed to work on? And my first question is, why, why are you playing the drums? And I may have, I'll give you some very uh, simple for instances from the past couple of weeks. Um, uh, the drummer left our church and there's an opportunity for me to play at the church. No one is stepping up, so it's a place for me to serve and I wanna do that. Um, I'm 60 and I'm retired and the kids are gone and I got the time to do it. I used to play when I was younger and I just want to play in a band on the weekend and, and be in a beach bar band. Uh, I'm a stay-at-home mom and all of my time during the day is devoted to my kids and I don't have anything that's me, but I've always been interested in the drums. So this is the thing I'm doing for me. Mm -hmm. um, those are you know three examples of a myriad of, of different uh, and then there's also the, I want to do this for a living. I'm a student full-time, you know, in music school. Uh, we have those too. So it's just a, a, a myriad of different people. But I like to uh, come at it from a, a standpoint of everyone is a unique person and they're doing this for a unique reason. And if we can discover that unique reason, I can teach them a lot better. If I have a doctor that wants to learn the drums and... They spend all their, you know, they're a surgeon. And they spend their entire day saving people's lives doing heart surgery, you know. And they want the drums to be a stress relief. Well, if I put that drum lesson back into the realm of stress, it's not fun. We've defeated the whole reason, you know. Yeah. If, I'm, if I put them into this rigorous, you know, we're going to make a professional drummer out of you, that's not their goal. They don't want to be a professional drummer. They want to play along to their favorite songs. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it all has yeah. to do with why are you the same reason? Why do you work out? You know, <laughs> well, I want to be a bodybuilder. That's a different thing of I want to be able to run a 5K. That's a different thing of, you know what? I just don't want to be overweight. All different reasons, all totally OK. Uh, it's just a it's just a matter of curating the content or the program to that person and their needs and me knowing, oh, this is a doctor and this is, he's, he's showing a lot of signs of frustration. Is there a way that I can alleviate that frustration in his process because his job is frustrating enough? Yeah. Um, and, and by understanding that about your students and approaching them and understanding a little bit about their life, I think we're able to educate them a lot better, you know, and make it a more enjoyable process of learning, but make no qualms about it. If, if I have somebody come in and say, Hey, I'm going, I'm in music school right now and I want to be a professional musician, I'm going to start tightening the bolts. And I'm going to say, hey, sure. let's, let's get to work. 
you know yeah. you've got some work to do if you're gonna if you're gonna play in the league with the rest of us you know I think so. that's what I struggle with I have a few students and I've I've expressed this before because my son is a guitar player and he took one of his first teachers was very kind of very much like the the mindset of me like he was he was a professional he and he taught that way and and at times it was overwhelming for my son that was 13 at the time and I said you know man if you know you you got to learn this stuff though this is important stuff it's boring but it's like it's really important and he was he was my son was feeling frustrated and and I had to take a step back and I'm like you know I think that's maybe how I'm teaching too. I mean, I was sympathizing with the teacher more so than with my son to a fault Mm -hmm. because I was thinking, but when I was a kid, this is all I wanted to do. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to be a professional musician. And so when I taught, I figured, well, hey, if you want to play drums, then you've got to do this. You've got to know these styles. You've got to do that. And it's like, that's not why everyone plays the drums. Yeah, it's, you know, so I'm just going through this with my kids, too. I've got a 12-year-old son, a 9-year-old son who's about to be 10, and then um, a 3-year-old daughter. And my 12-year-old started the drums uh, maybe six or seven months ago. He's doing great. He's, you know, he's 12. He's he's te- taken from a, a fantastic teacher here locally. If you're ever in the Nashville area, Jeremy McCormick is the man. Oh, yeah, he's sure. Um, yeah, I he's, love Jeremy. He's, he's great. He's fantastic with kids. Mm-hmm. And... And he's been able to curate that, the lessons in a way that my son loves them um, and take that with my nine-year-old who said, I want to learn to play the bass because his brother was making a band and they needed a bass player. And he's like, I want to play bass. So we bought the bass and we got the amp and we found a teacher and he liked his teacher. Um, but then after a couple months, they were still just doing hand patterns, the spider, and which is like you said, we need to know those things. You know, mm-hmm. but also uh, he's nine, and so he, he and in a couple of months he still hadn't learned a song, and so he started really not liking the bass, and so I saw I I thought okay this this has nothing to do with him this has to do with how he's being taught so I just contacted the teacher I said hey he's really bummed out right now so um, is I don't want to tell you how to teach but is there any way. I told him, I said, with my students, I really try to get them playing music very, very quickly within the first couple of lessons. I said, is there any way we can find a song that he can learn and definitely do the, the nuts and bolts stuff too, but can we learn some music and I'll learn it with him and that way it's a fun thing for him and he's jamming, but I think he needs that. I don't think he's going to keep playing bass if we, you know. Yeah. And so he changed it and picked a song. They worked on it one week. He came home. We worked on it together. He came out and said, that was the best ever. He loved it. The next week he went back, the next part they were learning. He and I sat down and jammed a little bit that week, watched some videos. And then he went in the next week and uh, the teacher said, this one's too hard. We're not going to do it anymore. And my son came out and wanted to quit. And so he subsequently quit. Um, and when you have a teacher that, you know, you're having a fun time jamming and you're learning the parts and it's a little above you, but you see the video and it's fun. And then they tell you, no, you can't do this. You know, that's a, again, like you said, it's a fault in the learning process because it's, we're so, we're so hooked on, they have to learn these fingering patterns. They have to learn these chord changes. Have, and I'm like, yeah, but they have to learn music too. Cause that's, that's why we play. We play for, you know, music. Yeah. People always ask me, how, how do they get their kids interested in music? My wife asked me the same thing. She said, are you going to make them play an instrument? It's like, no, it's, you know, it's called playing music. 
I said, so we're going to play yeah. and see if they like music. I said, if they like music, great. And so the way I got both of my kids interested in music, and my daughter, she comes in the studio now and she bangs on the piano and we sing Mary Had a Little Lamb and then she says it's my turn and I bang on the drums and, you know, I sing Mary Had a Little Lamb on the drums and she bangs on the piano and uh, and that's, she's playing music. We're having fun. We're playing. Right. And I told him, I said, the way I got my kids interested in music was when we're in the car using that found time to listen to music to say, oh, do you hear that guitar part? Turning it up. They like me because when I drive the van, I'll turn it up to 35 and mom won't turn it up to 35. And dad will turn it up to 35 and roll the windows down and we, we yell real loud and we sing along to the song, you know? Yeah. And I, I tell people I didn't have to convince them that music was fun. I showed them music was fun. You know, like right. we just had it's like nobody has to convince a kid that a water park is fun. You just show them one time going down the water slide and they're like, oh, that's awesome. You know, you don't you don't you don't talk about the water slide and you don't give them graphs and have them lay on a pad and say, OK, when you go down the water slide, this is how you're going to you know, you don't have three months of that before they go down the slide. That's what it's I like, did. That's no. what I did wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I'm yeah. Geez, boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like they put you on the slide and they put a foot in your back and they're like, see at the bottom and they kick you and they're like, you know, and they get to the bottom and it was messy and it was gross and they may have hit their head, but they had a blast and they're going to do it again. And they'll do it better. You know, that's the music's the same way. Like, let them learn that messy song. Let them let them screw up. Let them, you know, not do it right because they'll eventually do it right. They can hear. They they're not dumb. They yeah, yeah. they get it. For sure. So, um, I don't know. I, but I'll be the first to tell you I'm not good at teaching small children um, <laughs> as far as instrument because I'm very much like you. Yeah. I do better if I get them in their teenage years. Uh-huh. Um, but I've learned having small children, I've learned a lot. I just know, like, if I ran a drum school, an uh, in, in in-person drum school, I wouldn't be the, you know, five-year-old to ten-year-old teacher. I, that would not be my specialty, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know? Because at that at at that age, it's a lot of attaboys, and you're almost as much of a cheerleader as you are a, a friend and a teacher, and that um, doesn't come as naturally to me as it does to someone like say Jeremy McCormick, who's teaching Jackson. He's just fantastic at it, you know. I heard somebody say, and I'm probably messing this up, but it's like the best thing a teacher can do is inspire. Hmm. And I'm sure that applies. 100%. Yeah, I bet that applies just to to all things. And and I'm, it's been really fun. But it, I have to remind myself that this is fun for them. This is my yeah. discovery of drums and music came from a place of joy. And regardless of where I wanted to take it, it still remains that. And you know, the bigger thing to point towards is quality for. You know, if you can, if you, I think if you t- can teach a person to hear quality, um, eh, there's a, you know, we're going to get into the, uh, some, some pretty esoteric, uh, I think, areas if we, if we keep going. With, there's a great book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Yeah. And the whole book is about quality. And the guy actually drove himself crazy thinking about quality. You know, how do we know quality? Why is there quality in a cup, but there's also quality in a car, but there's also quality in art? You know, mm-hmm. um, what does quality mean? That type of a thing. And I think if we can attune their ear to quality and let them hear the difference, kind of what I was doing with those drummers, uh, the, the session drummers, if you can hear quality, 
and then we can replicate quality, your ear becomes attuned to quality and knowing when it's not right. And um, I think that's a, you know, a big part of it. A big part of it with kids too is understanding, I mean, to keep going back with that, I just think people get it wrong so often. Um, The brain develops at a certain pace. Yeah. And people don't take this into account whenever they try to uh, teach kids. And so the cognitive abilities of a child, uh, task management, goal, goal uh, setting, um, being able to control their emotions, being able to focus for a said uh, amount of time, those don't develop, especially in males, they don't develop until later in the teen years and males on into the 20s. Uh, females uh, will develop that a little bit a little bit sooner than them, um, and so you have to take that into account when you've got a kid, and you're like, oh, he just won't focus on his practice, and it's like, yeah, he can't focus on anything for ten minutes. <laughs> like, you know, good luck getting him to eat for ten minutes and focus on the sandwich. Like, you know, so uh, I, I think we just have to adjust as well, and and literally look at them and go, they're not physically able to do that yet. So, you know. Uh, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot with teaching kids we can improve on. For sure. And uh, it, when we first started speaking, I mentioned that I listened to your interview with Nick Ruffini. So Drummer's Resource. Yeah. Uh, you did a great interview. Nick. Uh, Nick did a great interview with you, uh, number 365. Uh, so I encourage all our listeners to check that out. Um, well, yeah, Nick's a great guy. Yes. Um, so I'll refer to that in a couple ways. And one of the ways you guys get into... Some of the some of the studying and the research that you put in to study things that aren't necessarily drum related or teaching related, and sure. I, I feel like you're touching upon some of that stuff. Could you tell us some of the things that you were studying, reading, exploring to kind of help yourself do the things that you're doing now? Um, yeah. So. One of the big areas that helps me teach is um, understanding the art of practicing. Where you know, anytime you want to learn something new, you want to learn basketball, or you want to learn, you know, uh, uh, an instrument. There's this thing that is is a is a a common theme with them, and that's practice. You know, if you want to learn a sport you got to practice and then you start going okay well what is practice and uh, so practice is this thing that we're supposed to do and nobody really teaches us how to practice um, what are what are what are successful practices what do they look like those types of things so I actually have a whole course that I wrote on it it's the most popular course I've ever put out matter of fact it's called the art of practice and um, it's all about the strategical side of how we practice. It's the strategy side of how you go through the material that you go through. What's the most effective way to work through it? So all about feedback loops and creative triggers and uh, how the brain works. I've studied a lot about how the brain works, how the brain learns, what myelin is, how do we encode information, those types of things. Um, there's a, a, a another great drummer, Mark DiGiani, who is, uh, he's, he's probably the only other drummer that I've met that studied this as much as I have on, uh, on the practice and how the brain works when we're learning. So that's one area that I've spent a lot of time learning. I, I read a lot. Um, I'm, I'm looking at like 20 or 30 books. I've got a problem. I just, <laughs> uh, my, my problem is that 
uh, if I see a book, I think it's a good idea to buy it because at some point I think that book will be it'll come in handy. I think it's there's such a good bargain, you know, like if I could pay $10 and change my life, you know, would I do that? And it literally with a lot of the books that you look at and you're like, oh, should I should I buy that book on, you know, literally some of those books like you could pay $10 and read it and really implement what it talks about and you could literally change your life. I've got books that I've read, you know, that were $10, $15 and, and I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars off the concepts that were taught, you know, in mm-hmm. that book. Mm-hmm. So they're just an incredible value. And so it's really hard for me to pass up a really good deal like that. So I wind up just buying lots of books and, um, and, so uh, at the new studio that we're building, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to is my bookshelves, and I can't wait to just fill them up with books that I've read and will be reading. Um, so uh, I've, I spend a lot of time reading on business, specifically marketing at this point. Uh, a couple years ago, I decided that I, I founded my uh, Stevens Drum Shed, SDS, in 2011 and um, took it full-time in the middle of 2015. Uh, and I you know, had a professional drumming career up until that point, and um, and I um, well, I took a six-year hiatus to do personal training so that I could turn the ship to do what I'm doing. I needed to take some pressure off my playing and everything. Sure. And um, anyway, once I decided that I needed to be a businessman that happened to be a drummer instead of a drummer that happened to have a business, once I made that mental shift, um, that's when things started moving. So I spend just as much time during my week studying about marketing. Uh, testing marketing. Uh, I'm, you know, earlier today, the two things I did today, well, three things, four things. I did four things. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I spent the morning doing a session for a YouTube video that I've been working on. I spent my lunch meeting with my general contractor at the studio that we're doing. I spent a couple of hours working on some Facebook ads and tweaking them and trying to understand why they weren't converting, how I thought they should convert. Um, because people were clicking through to the ad, but they weren't, they weren't purchasing. So there's something wrong with either the, the, the copy on the page or there's something wrong with the offer itself. And it's really just a, you know, you don't get insulted. You just, it's just information. So I spent my time trying to figure that out. And then I've had two podcast interviews today. So oh, wow. that's kind of been my day. Nice. But the, I spend just as much time with, with marketing and uh, trying to learn good, solid business strategy, how to manage a team, how to treat people ethically when you're working with them, um, and and realizing that any problem with my business ultimately boils down to me. It's not a, a, a another person. Uh, they're usually just the symptom of the problem, and usually I can trace it back to how I dropped the ball on on my end and didn't communicate something well enough. I didn't set goals well enough. I didn't set expectations well enough. I didn't define the job well enough. Uh, so that they were kind of set up for failure from the beginning. And so once you kind of really point everything back to yourself as the business owner, it leaves a lot of, of space for you to need to, you know, you need to learn things. So, so, um, so I spend a lot of time reading and, and, and um, trying to teach myself, taking courses, things like that. That's awesome, man. That's, that's amazing. I mean, but think about the time you're, you're neglecting from your social media responsibilities. Uh, <laughs> like surfing. Yeah. So. yeah that's, gosh. I mean, I, you know, if really? I, t- I told somebody the other day, I, I, I said, if I didn't have a business that had a large presence on social media, I would be a ghost. And people oh, think yeah. I'm joking. No, I would, oh, I would be exhausting. I would be a ghost. You would not, you would not existed. Um, but 
you know, <laughs> the flip side of that is uh, I built my entire business off of social media. So uh, it, it just can't be. Oh, right. I, <laughs> I get it. What our mission is here at Working Drummer Podcast is that we try and steer most things around the, the idea of what it takes to be a working drummer. And it means many, many, many different things. Uh, running your own studio, running, uh, t- you know, t- whether it's a teaching studio or uh, touring or a session drummer or, you know, in, any, any and all shapes and sizes. But how, it, how are some of these things that you're talking about can someone who is an individual say, you know, okay, I'm a freelance drummer and I, I, I live in Austin or I live in, you know, Atlanta and this is what I do. I'm, I don't work for anybody. I don't have a team like you have. Is there anything about this that you can speak to that might apply to someone that is just by themselves? Sure. Um, well, I think, you know, first of all, I think just, um, you know, for instance, learning to manage people or learning to work with a team, uh, you know, you can put that specifically to band dynamics. Yeah. You know, if I learn, if I learn how to interact with other humans on a, on a deeper level, maybe it wouldn't hurt you to read a management book. Maybe you would learn some better ways to communicate with your bass player instead of uh, <laughs> the passive aggressive thing that you guys are doing right now where neither of you are happy, but you're not talking and you're like an you know, old married couple sleeping in separate beds. You know, maybe instead of doing that, you could sit down and have a conversation and, and be able to to talk to them. So a lot of a lot of to me things that you learn about managing people, things like that are I learned a lot of it on the bandstand, you know? Yeah. I learned a lot about conflict resolution. Uh, you know, I learned it it didn't take someone else to tell me that like, so if I approach this person and I blame this problem on them. That's going to that's gonna cause them to become defensive, and then we're not going to solve the problem, and we're still going to have the problem on the bridge of neither he nor I are locking in. But if I approach it from the standpoint of, hey, I'm really having, you know, I use those words very specifically, I'm really having a problem locking in on the bridge. Is there any way that you could walk me through what you're doing so that I can can better lock in with you mm-hmm. and what you're doing. You know, so by approaching that in a way of not saying, hey man, what you're playing on the bridge isn't working. It really just is just crudding things. And sometimes it's necessary to say that too. Like what you're playing is not working. But there's also a different way that you can say that. You know, I feel there's a better way to you know, different wordings, but a lot of band dynamics comes down to just basic communication skills. Oh, yeah. um, another thing we could learn of, you know, maybe you are a freelancer but maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should be a band leader. Maybe you should put your own group together. Maybe you should start booking your own stuff. Maybe instead of just being a solo act, maybe you, you know, let's say you play in party bands. Let's take it down to that, to the working drummer that plays the weekend party bands. You play weddings, you play conventions, those types of things. Okay, well, why can't you run your own band and then have so many bookings that you have to have a secondary band that you book out of players that are your your B-list players that you usually hire as subs, and you can book them on the weekend, you can take some off the top of that, take a, a booking fee, uh, and you're also playing with your band where you're taking the booking fee, leader fee, and you're also getting paid to be there to play. So now you've got multiple streams of income. There used to be a guy in New Orleans that did that. I played with his groups. Um, and he would have five or six bands working in one night. Yeah. Um, why not whenever you're playing with an artist, 
why can't you develop the skill of communication? I, I talked to a, a, a old friend of mine. He's not a friend anymore, uh, but um, that's a long story. Um, <laughs> but he uh, he was a. There's not many people I can say I was. There's two specifically that I was friends and we're no longer friends. It takes a lot. Yeah, um, I'd say so. But um, but he said it turns out in the world of IT there are a lot of introverts and if you come into that world and you can actually make those people talk they pay you a lot of money. And so wow. he was, they, he said, and they call you a manager. And so if you can go into a situation and you can be the guy that makes everyone talk in that situation and, oh, you also know a little bit about song arranging and you can write some charts, all of a sudden you're what they call a band leader. And if you're a band leader, you get paid double scale. Yeah. And so why don't, we, why don't we improve ourselves in that direction where you could get into a situation and you can become someone like a Jim Riley? who mm-hmm. was, you know, Rascal Flats. obviously, I don't know if they're going to be able to do their farewell tour or not, but um, band leader and drummer, you know, yeah. fantastic. You, you get paid double for that job. So I think that people all too often try to separate the different segments of their life. Um, and, and really, they all kind of can, can uh, go together quite nicely you know, uh, when it comes to that type of thing, when we're talking specifically about that and we can talk about, you know, uh, business strategy, uh, let's talk about marketing. Uh, you know, people, we can talk about sales funnel. Let's say you're a teacher and you teach, um, let's say you have a drum school an in-person drum school and you're the number one, uh, drum school in your town, which there's a lot to be said for that. You get a hundred students coming every week, 30 minute lessons. That's a, you're, you're making a good living. And, now you can talk about how do you walk them up your value ladder, you know? Okay, well, the entry thing is we do a free lesson. And if you do that free lesson, in that lesson, I'm going to present you with a package. And the package is so many lessons per month. It's structured like this, et cetera, and so forth. You say how the structure is. And then once they're like, okay, yeah, I want to do that. That's great value. Okay, cool. I also have a curriculum. So you're, you're on level one. You're going to need the level one curriculum. You need to go to this link. It's $20 for the book. I would have them buy a method book anyway. Why not have them buy the one that I wrote? Oh, wow, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then you've got another $20. And what you're doing there is you're walking them up your value ladder. And so it's not that you're, I got another $20 out of that kid. That's not <laughs> what you're doing. What you're, what you're doing is by them having that curriculum, I am now able to deliver at a much higher level than I could before. So the transactions, very, business is a very, very ethical thing. And so the transaction is very ethical. So now you've had the free lesson and they signed on for the package and now you've got them on the level one curriculum and you know that you can level them up in two months and they'll hit level two curriculum. They'll pay another $20 to get that one. And oh, maybe you also have some labs and once you get them good enough, you can say, hey, now that you're good enough, in addition to the lessons, you can pay X extra every month and you can be part of the rock band lab that meets on Wednesday nights. So now you, what you're doing is you're walking this student up your value ladder and while they're walking up the value ladder, paying you a little bit more money, mm-hmm. you're actually delivering far more value to that student. Another way you could do that is say, hey, this is the lesson package. If you'd like the lesson package plus, um, it comes with the curriculum book as well as an HD recording of every lesson. Um, and that is X dollars more every month. And so when you do that, you know, let's just say you didn't want to do the package. You say, hey, if you want an HD recording of the lesson, it's $5 extra. That doesn't seem like a lot, but when you, when you, when you kind of zoom out from that, they're taking from you four times a month. That's $20 a month. That doesn't seem like a lot either, but, oh, I had 10 students sign up for that. Oh man, that's $200 a month. You you see what I'm saying? Once we zoom out and we start to look at 
what a sales funnel looks like and walking them through those value opportunities and those propositions. Uh, uh, once you put that on, on the ground, boots on the ground with a, a drum teacher or whether you're in a band situation, uh, you, begin to, um, you begin to have some really hard and fast strategies that you can uh, up your income. Let's say you're in a band, a working band, uh, you guys are booking your own shows. It pays to understand the art of negotiation. Right. If you understand how to negotiate a deal, you're going to get a better slot at a at a festival. You are going to get better clubs. You're going to get better treatment when you're there. You, all those things. Um, so that's another area. You know, negotiation is a, is a very practical business tactic. So uh, all of those are things that we can learn and apply in the world of of being a working drummer. Yeah. And I think that a lot of these things that you're talking about, first of all, are often uh, missing in a lot of uh, those of us that work in this creative uh, business, is we fine-tune so much of our craft that we forget how to do the things that, oh, I'm not a really business guy, I'm a musician, I'm an artist, so this is, this is what I do. You know, and so there was always this distinct line between the artist and the, and the business side of things, especially in, in the music business. And I'm sure yeah. you've experienced this before where you have these brilliant, and, and this, is a, this was a lesson I learned when I first moved to town. And I was working in Columbus, Ohio, where I grew up and studied there. And, um, you know, we were all trying to just make it happen. And then I, I moved to Nashville and this amazing talent pool of songwriters. But they weren't showing up on time for the session or they weren't prepared for <laughs> rehearsal or they weren't something that, upset me like you got to be more organized you've got to do this and i realized it's like but wait a minute these are the people that are writing the songs these are the people that that and then i'm i'm playing drums and i'm i'm doing this but it's like this this really heavy concentration of creative talent sometimes lacks the organizational skills that i grew to expect but i also l learned that i had to kind of give them some space and 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 let them do their thing. So I, yeah, I, but you, you know, so so I th as as uh, if you can strike a balance between that, just imagine the opportunities that you have, you can have, uh, if you apply some of these things that you're talking about to your already creative side of your brain. For sure, and you know, and that's a real thing. I mean, this morning I was. I was in creative mode. I was in a session. I was not in business mode. I did not care about sales funnels. That video that I'm doing <laughs> yeah. is going to get 20 copyright claims when I upload it to my channel. So I'm it's going to be demonetized. I'm not going to get any of the money off of it. And that's cool. I knew that from the beginning. It's going to be, it's for a different you know reason. But I'm in the creative mode of wanting to create something cool. So when I'm in that mode, all I'm all I'm worried about is the energy of the take and am I nailing that and you know that type of a thing. Uh, I think you have to be able to to separate the the art, but you can never really you know to me uh, make your art on a level that you could until you have those four walls taken care of, which is food, transportation, shelter, clothing. You really have to not be in a desperate state to be able to. Um, for me, now there's tons of artists yeah. that do this, but I think that I think the struggling artist is a myth that many artists like to embrace. I don't think it's a necessity for great art. I think that great art 
happens despite them being completely desperate for money and food or whatever. I like eating food, so I would rather, <laughs> you know, make good money while I'm while I'm doing what I'm doing, you know. Sure. Um, but I'm the same way as you. I found out, I found out real quickly, any gig that I got to be a sub on, even if I didn't want the gig full time, I went in with the intention of taking the gig, and I yeah. didn't do it maliciously. I went in almost as a practice of I'm going to be so good that they want me to play with them instead and then I'm going to turn them down because I I don't want to take it from my buddy or I don't, you know what I'm saying? But I would go in and I would do what you were talking about. I would listen of the things that they didn't like about the normal drummer. Uh, And he always tries to play the bridge like this and it just doesn't go like that. You're playing it a lot closer to what we originally wrote it at or man, you're already set up. You know, we're usually sitting around waiting. In the back of my mind, I'm like, all it's doing is like, I got it. I, I know how to get in on this guy, you know? And it's not a, it's not a malicious thing. I was just practicing my skills of, of being good at what I'm doing. Another thing is every time I would get done with a gig, especially when I was starting out, I would follow up with the artist or the band leader. And I'd say, Hey, I just wanted to make sure there's nothing I could be doing better that would help serve you and the music a little bit better. I would always get some feedback from them of mm-hmm. things that they liked, they didn't like, and I would use that to go, okay, cool, let's make that better. Let's. I think that we all too often just go in and, hey, I showed up and I know how to play the drums, so you know, hire me. Yeah, um, yeah. And when you get to a place like Nashville where I can throw a rock and hit a drummer that's probably better than any of them in your town, um, it, gets, it gets a little bit more cutthroat, you know? Well, and, and a lot of times it's 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 just a simple text and like, hey man, this weekend was great. I so appreciate you, uh, you know, having me. Not saying if you ever need somebody, mm-hmm. you let me know. It's just a real simple thank you. Appreciate the work, and if anything, that keeps you in the forefront of their mind. Because again, when you're living in a town like Nashville, and there's so many examples around the world. Oftentimes it comes to who pops in their head first. And if they saw you or heard about you or got a text from you or anything like that, then somebody says, hey, man, we've got a session coming up. I, by the way, we need a drummer. Is there like, you know what? I know I know somebody. Uh, yeah, just like cause, because there's so many drummers. There's so many people that they could call. But if, if, if they could check that off their list and be like, hey, I got a drummer. Check. Oh, yeah, no, he's great. You're good to go. Yep. Yep. And and I think that too, you know, if we're just going to talk real world with working drummer, I think all too often people like to label themselves as a drummer. And to them, that means that to be a working drummer, all of my income has to come from drumming. Mm-hmm. And I think that that I think that that mindset really backs you into a corner. I think that once you once you start stepping back and going, OK, I can still when people at a party ask me what I am. I can still say I'm a drummer. I don't have to tell them that two thirds of my income comes from investment real estate. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to tell them that. I can tell them that like day in, day out, I'm a, I'm a drummer. You know, if they want to say, how do you make your money? Well, that's a, you know, it's a different conversation, but there's nothing wrong with becoming very well uh, diversified and having multiple streams of income. To me, that is the key to a successful life in general is having multiple streams of income where when one dries up, you and we're going through a, a very, I don't, I don't mean to not make this an evergreen piece of content, but we're going through a very practical, real-world, hands-on, uh-oh, 
type of a moment for a lot of musicians. Oh yeah. In that they built they built their life on live playing. And I want to give you two examples from my life. So whenever uh, whenever 9/11 happened, I was wor working on Bourbon Street in New Orleans, and we got taken to 20% of the alcohol sales for the for the bar because they weren't making any money because all travel ceased. They were scared of terrorist attacks. Nobody was on the street. And um, for a day band, you know, I played in the afternoon. I paid from like four to, you know, nine. The alcohol sales already weren't that much. You right. know, you had a bunch of window shoppers at four in the afternoon. And so um, I, my pay got cut less than in half. So I started now picking up two shifts a day so that I could hopefully come close to what I was making with one shift before. Um, and I And I saw very quickly how that... That was a that was a negative thing. How outside influences really took my living away, and I wound up. I was getting married, so I wound up having to pick up some landscaping work. Uh, my neighbor owned a landscaping company, so I was doing that a couple of days as well as playing. I wound up working in a kitchen, which I had had some experience doing that before. But until it kind of passed that that nine eleven scare, another one was Hurricane Katrina. We were in Mississippi when that came through, and eighty percent of Mississippi was knocked out with power. A lot of my a lot of my um, work was in New Orleans and on the coast. Um, both of the, the coast, there was just nothing there. That's why you weren't seeing it on the news. Everything was gone. Um, and so I literally took my calendar and just threw it in the, in the garbage. Wow. Because all the casino gigs, all the gigs down in New Orleans, the whole city was flooded in New Orleans. There was nothing on the coast. I didn't have any gigs. So that's another example of a time where I was not diversified enough that my income could recover from a natural disaster like that. Now we have COVID. Yeah. And with that going on, I sat back and I realized, wow, so with those first two, it completely took me out. This one didn't. This one, I've diversified enough. I've got enough different things going on that it's pretty much carry on with business as usual. And it makes me very empathetic with those that are scrambling right now. And I've talked to a lot of them on the phone, a lot in the past few weeks. For sure. Trying to help them get whatever, whatever I just got off a call with two of them. Actually, today I was doing that while I was driving. Um, and they're just trying to shuffle. And I respect that. I respect the hustle and I respect trying to shuffle the income streams. But really it's looking ahead and trying to figure out how can we do that ahead of time. Maybe I can do some transcription work. Maybe I can do some producing. Maybe I could book some bands. Maybe I could, you know, maybe, 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 maybe. You never know which one may become a viable stream of income and which one you may need to turn to to make a living as a, as a working musician, which entails a lot more than just showing up for a studio session these days. Well, and you may discover a lot more than it used to. You, you may discover something that you really enjoy and like, man, I should have been doing this all along, you know, which is what I did. And mm -hmm. I, you know, if people ask me what I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing, Matthew. I really don't know <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I'm building I'm building this creative space down in Columbia, Tennessee. It's, it's going to be nothing but a studio video audio studio. And we're going to do some drum camps there. But also, I'm just building it to be a creative space where I can go in and create. And they're like, well, what are you going to create? And I'm like, I don't know. I have some ideas, but I think it'll show itself. Never never in my whole growing up life, if you would have said, hey, Stephen, when you get older, do you think you're going to own a studio? 
I never would have told you that. I never would have said, yeah, I'm going to buy this historical building and completely gut it and redo it. And we're going to have this just crazy fun place where we can go and make video content and drumming content and I can do sessions there. I never would have thought I would have done that. And I never would have had the opportunity to do that if I wouldn't have thought outside of the box and really thought, okay, everybody else is doing this. What if I just went the other way and did this thing instead? What if, what if I didn't do that? Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for being a small fish in a, or a big fish in a small pond. Um, and you know, that's kind of what I've done is I've just built a pond where I just kind of do my thing. I don't know if it's the right, you know, I don't know if it's the right thing. It's working. The buyer snare drum of the week is this big old boy, seven and a half by 14, performed by Nashville session drummer Mark Beckett. other online drumming resources available that a lot of us are familiar with, but are there a couple things you can point to that maybe you have intentionally done differently? Yes, I've intentionally built an online drum school. (laughs) I've intentionally uh, not produce just online drum lessons. And I'm not talking, I would never talk, I have high respect for anyone that is doing this on a high level. Uh, Jared Falk and I are friends. We, we texted the other day. Um, there's really good people doing really, really good things. For sure. And so I think that for anybody in this space to sling mud is like a teacher in, in your hometown slinging mud at the other, you know, drum teacher. It's like, why are we doing this? There's enough. There's enough. Well, and we all. feel that way about podcasts too. We've that's why we share podcast yeah. space because it's a community, man. And we're there's plenty of space and room for all of us to work. And we 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 use each other as support, and it really work, works great. Yeah. Um, so for me, I have found uh, because I came up in, if you want to say, you know, air quotes, the legit uh, drumming. I guess, curriculum, getting in with, with very serious teachers at an early age and then going through university and all that stuff. Um, I'm, I'm very keen on what needs to, and, and I was working at a very early age in this and had a lot of good mentors. Let me, let me just not gloss over that. A lot of people that poured a lot of time into me. And, um, and I think that that's kind of what separates. I go for very much more of a real world. This is applicable. We have a curriculum uh, we're not just going to dump you with a bunch of, of random lessons. And we really are more personable than, uh, than I would say a lot of, of other offerings out there. I also skip the cool factor for what I do. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I don't think I'm very cool. I've never thought I'm very cool. Um, and that's not like this, you know, I'm being cool by thinking I'm, I, I really, um, uh, I've just wanted to be myself. So um, having my videos come across as really slick or uh, looking really cool or having the perfect angle that looks really cool, um, it's just never been my take. I, I tell the guys that, that I work with, you know, if I ever lose the ability to just grab a camera and turn it around and, and press record and like while I'm walking through the room, I think we've lost the point of what we're doing, you know. I think that really is the 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 essence of what we're doing more, more boots on the ground, 
you know, this is very applicable type of a stuff. But I, I spend a lot of time thinking about market positioning. And mm. if, you, if you are in a town, let's take this back to, the, to a working you know, musician type of a thing. If you're in a town and there's a, there's, there's a cat and he is the go-to jazz guy, like everybody uses him for jazz, that may not be the niche you want to corner because you got a big fish you got to contend with. Right. But a lot of jazz guys don't prefer to play rock or pop. So I would look at that market and I'd be like, okay, cool. There's a lot of work with that. And I think I could be, I think I could be the number one guy in this town on that. So then I'm going to put my energy into being that guy. Maybe you become known as the pocket, that, that guy that plays pocket so well. You know, maybe whatever you become known for, maybe you become known as the, that guy, that, that drummer that has great background vocals too. You know, um, there's a lot that you can do where you essentially look at your, you know, quote unquote competition and you understand what they're doing that's making them so successful. And then you understand how you can do something different that still serves the market in a different and unique way. And then you do what they call in marketing, you twist the knife. You point out the differences. Um, hmm. So I don't, just, I don't just say we're an online drum school. I say we're not online drum lessons. We're an online drum school. So I'm, that's what they would call twisting the knife. I'm, and I don't mean to poke at competition. Yeah, yeah. I don't really consider them competition. Sure. Um, I'm just pointing out, like, this is why we're different. Let me, let me drive that point home a little bit more for you. Yeah. Um, and I think we can do that whether we're a gigging drummer or, or not. You know, Maybe in your town uh, they need more of a percussion player than they do a drummer. Maybe there's a lot of perk work. That would be something I'd look at and be like, you know what? I'm about to get really good at some percussion yeah, <laughs> because there's yeah. a lot of job opportunity here for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think that there's a lot of different ways to, to look at it. And instead of just going for that, I think we need to really try to carve out a unique space for ourselves in the market. Um, and, you know, you talk to session players. We're talking about session players here in town. Each of them knows that they bring a different thing to the table. Yeah. Scott Williamson is... You know, he understands what he brings to the table. Steve Brewster understands what he brings to the table. Producers and engineers that have worked with them also understand. And based upon the project that they're brought, they will suggest the player that they feel is needed for that situation. And, and Steve Brewster's feel is not at all like Scott's feel. And how he'll approach a song is not at all how he, you know, Scott would approach a song. Neither are bad. They're just different. And they've cornered that niche for themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, as well, Scott is, is a is a sought after mix engineer. He is he is he has added that to his tool set, you know. Being a drummer that can also be a killer engineer, that's a that's a, a bonus, you know. Yeah. Um and we could go on and on about this, but I really think it takes looking at the market and trying to find a unique space for how you fit into that market and not trying to copy what someone else is doing. Because they're gonna they're gonna do it better than you. There are so many examples of companies and people trying to copy w what someone else did, and it doesn't work. No, nope. you know it doesn't right. work. And and right now it just seems like it's more important than ever that we we really wrap our heads around what is important as far as being able to market ourselves and get out there, especially so, as, as people are turning to online sessions 
for the you know there's a there's with with the shutdown everyone has gone into hyperdrive in learning how to record at home and how to do all these things mm-hmm. and how to engineer how to mix how to edit how to you know get a great performance based on whatever experience you have and so that's all well and good and there's so much online youtube stuff and and friends and and sharing information on how to really fine tune that skill but then and i I've, I've got some friends we probably have mutual friends on facebook that are doing some really cool things and posting some cool samples of you know the session that they're doing for a client or something they're doing for fun to fine tune those skills but how do you get that out there so that you're starting to make the same income that you were doing when you were touring a little bit, playing on the side, doing the occasional session. All those marketing skills sure. you're talking about matter to every single one of us now more so than ever. Yeah, I, I think that I think that you're absolutely right. And you know, how do you how do you get that velocity? Well, you should have started, <laughs> you know, well before now. Yeah, and it's just kind of yeah. now, now. It kind of sits everybody. I don't mean I don't mean that as as any type of a jab, but that's kind of how I always look at it. When I get in a desperate strait, I look at it and go, you know what? I really painted myself into a corner there, didn't I? Um, I, I should have done a better job of diversifying, and I and I should have, you know, known that the world would not always be perfect, and I may need to turn to something else. But you but did. I a, just you, I just got to you know. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Man. I was just going to say you you did a really, but you've already pointed out the fact that you know that that has happened to you a couple of times. I mean, nine eleven didn't affect uh, me like it did you. Um, Hurricane Katrina didn't affect Nashville the way it did New Orleans. So you've had some of those experiences kind of be a bit of a wake up call, and you responded to those in with intention and in looking at, ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think to another thing that any working musician needs to sit down and really think through is not just, you know, do I want to be a musician or not? Do I want to make a living playing music? I think they also don't spend enough time thinking about what does a successful life look like to me? Yeah. Um, Is a successful life being a musician? The fact that I get to the end of my life and I can say I made 100% of my income from music is that my idea of a successful life? And if the answer to that is like, well, no, I kind of want some other things, then you have to dive into, okay, what other things do you want? So then we start diving into the, the area that I really started getting into and really dove deep in what do I want my life to look like? So my wife and I, you know, uh, I met my wife at my very first gig. I didn't meet her, excuse me. She saw me for the first time at my very first gig. I've told this story quite a bit. I was playing percussion. We were doing, I was playing sleigh bells on Harry Connick Jr.'s, must have been old Santa Claus. And they said, hey, it would be cool if at that time, it would be really funny if you stood up and you were wearing reindeer antlers and a, and a red nose <laughs> and you played the sleigh bells and, and you also danced a little bit. And I, you know, was a punk rock kid and I was like, I don't, of all the things that would be cool, that wouldn't be cool. Um, so, uh, but you know, they were paying me $50. So I stood up with the reindeer antlers in the nose and played jingle bells, you know, the sleigh bells, uh, to that song. And she was in the crowd one of the nights that we played. So I always joke that, you know, I found my living and I found my wife in the same night. Um, <laughs> cause she, she went home and asked her brother, she said, Hey, who was that kid? You know, who was that guy playing percussion? He was cute. Um, so, 
Which I guess if your wife first sees you in a reindeer outfit, you don't have, you know, you have a lot of room for improvement. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's how I snagged her so early. It's like, like well, if you like, if you like me, then wait till I wait till you see what I look like without that red nose on, you know? That's right. Um, and, and in 20 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that I just really started thinking about, okay, well, I consider a successful life being married to the woman I'm married I want to keep being married. And I was meeting a lot of musicians that were having a lot of marital issues or were on marriage three or four because they were gone all the time, man. And that, yeah. that life can be rough. And I don't want to paint being a musician in a negative light. I view it in a very positive light. But there's also a lot of things that go along with it that we could talk about. Uh, a, a lot of extracurricular substance abuse as well as a lot of there are a lot of members of the opposite sex that show up at the gig and the show, and the hotel, and the bus call um, that, uh, you know, you have to deal with on some level. Um, and and I, just, I just started to look through that and go, okay, well, if I'm gone all the time, how am I supposed to have a relationship with this, you know, with my wife? Then I started having kids, and I'm like, okay, well, whenever I'm 70, and they ask me, you know, are you happy with your life? And I say, you know, or they're thinking, well, Dad always traveled. And then they turn to me and they say, but at least you were doing something you loved. And then I turn to them and go, well, actually, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't really love that artist or their music. They were kind of a jerk and I actually didn't like the music at all. So whenever I envisioned having that conversation with my, you know, 30 year old son, I was like, oh, that would suck because it would be different if I said, you know what? You know, if they said my dad traveled, but he was passionate about what he did and he, he always made sure he was in, you know, the most creative situation he could be in. You know, that to me, I could have that conversation. But, you know, you can't often have that conversation and, oh, yeah, he made tons of money doing it uh, or he was able to support us, you know, whatever that looks like. So yeah. whenever yeah. Kelly and I just started talking through what what we felt our life should, you know, what we wanted it to look like, that didn't really fall in line with the typical musician's life um, Financially, it didn't fall in line with it in our relationship. Uh, it didn't fall in line with it with a lot of personal things that I wanted to achieve. Uh, my dad traveled a lot. My dad was a pastor growing up, and he traveled several days out of the week, uh, sometimes a couple weeks out of the month, and it was tough, you know. I wish my dad would have been home more than he was. And so um, I, think that, I think that that drove me to really try to do something different where I am available for my, my kids in the way they need me to be, my family in the way they need me to be. Um, I'm able to be around my wife as much as I want to be, which is all the time. She's, she's great. Um, awesome. And so, you know, uh, I don't know. I think that we, we don't think enough about, yeah, you want to be, be a musician, but also what else do you want, you know? And can we, can we make those two, you know, play together and, and, uh, cooperate together and the answer is yes you can it just takes some some thought right and and it's different for, i realize it's different for everybody for everyone but you know i'm i'm with you and and that was one of the reasons why i chose nashville because it felt like a place where i could kind of have the best of both worlds uh mm -hmm. and that being said uh that the, there were times when it was tough to find a balance between the two because one would always seem to take precedence and, and, and affect the other. So if I was spending a lot of time working on music and stuff, I was 
not as attentive to my family and vice versa. So it was, a, it was, it's definitely a balancing act, a balancing act and it constantly needs retooling. I have found that since March, when everything has shut down and my son is finishing up his senior year and getting ready to go to college uh, in Knoxville, it's been a blessing in so many different ways where I've seen him more in the last three months than I have in the last three years. Uh, even right. even after I came off the road from a full-time touring thing, I, I it's, it's, I've really, I'm really, I'm so thankful for that time. I mean, I wish it was under better circumstances, but it is what it is. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to not take advantage of, of this family time that we're getting that made oh, for me, sure, you know? Yeah. But that's, sure. that's such a great, I'm so glad you're, 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 you're bringing this up and, and, and cause it's so important for so many people that their definition of success is to find a spouse that works and create a family environment that is part of their vision. And yeah, and you're, you're kind of letting us know you can do both. You can have it. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, you know, a lot of musicians don't like to talk about doing anything other than music, but I had to, I had to quit music for six years now, in that interim, I wound up getting with a band that we got signed to Universal Records and mm -hmm. did that whole thing. So I guess I guess quitting music didn't exactly work. Um, <laughs> I was I was just wanting to get in a band and play some fun weekend shows, but turns out I, I chose too well. And they were a killer group of guys and, and wrote killer music, and so we, had, we had a lot of fun. Lovers and Liars, um, that was the name of the band? Lovers and Liars was the group, yeah. Uh -huh. Stacey Hogan had founded the band, and um, I'm still great friends with uh, Jason Stout, um, the guitarist from that band and the other two, they live well north of Nashville. And so, you know, uh, you know, just that 45 minutes, an hour between each other kind of, I think, uh, we, we don't get together near as much as we should, but, um, I had to pick up personal training. And so whenever I decided I needed to retool, it usually takes five to six months to get certified for personal training. If you, if you go with a, a good certification, one that's going to get you into good gyms. And, and I did the whole thing from the time I ordered the curriculum to the time I te tested in five weeks um, wow. because I just, I bit the bullet and I was like, this is the direction we need to go. So let's go in that way quick. And I very, you know, quickly built up a personal training business where I was doing 50 to 55 sessions a week, which is a lot for a personal trainer. That's a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. And then I began uh, in that interim, I s delivered uh, sandwiches at Jason's Deli. Um, so I would get up and personal train from about five to about 10 in the morning from about 10 or 1030. I would deliver sandwiches until about 130 or two. And then I'd be back at the gym at three and I would work either until five or until 830 if it was a late night. Um, and then it got to where I um, replaced the sandwich gig with um, that's I used a lot of that money to it was a great tip money. Uh, we did a lot of of, of uh, uh, corporate type of deliveries. Okay. Um, I used that money for my first studio. Um, and um, then I replaced that with personal training in the morning and making videos for free on YouTube, and uh, which my wife, to her credit, 
you know, said was a great idea. I'm not sure she thought so much at the time, but she's like, yeah, honey, that's, you know, that's great. Um, (laughs) uh, what'd you do today? It's like, oh, I made this YouTube video. And she's like, oh, you know, that's, that's good. Dinner's ready. Um, so it's kind of the thing of like, I, I look back and I'm like, you know, gosh, she definitely kept her face straight while she was telling me that was great. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there was a lot of time where uh, it, it took me a long time to, to begin to take that back full time. About six years was the interim time until I took it full time again, right. in the middle of 2015, where I was doing nothing but music. Uh, I could have taken it that, I could have done it sooner, but I didn't want the family to notice a drop in their quality of life, if you will. Uh, I didn't want my wife to have to go back to work, and so I kept uh, a second job, probably longer than I should have. Um, but you know, it got us to the place where where we are now, which I'm very very happy to be. That's that's amazing. Uh, I know that you did the personal training thing, and we did an episode on fitness. We had a we had a roundtable, and we had uh, a couple experts on, uh, as well as some some dedicated. Uh, drummers that were, you know, making some life-changing um, or doing some things to change their life and better their health, and it was it was a really fun thing to do. And I really, and it, I'm proud of that episode. But I I feel like we have to continue the conversation. It didn't cover everything that I wanted it to cover, and it, and it never does. Right. Otherwise, we would have been done after the first probably six months of this podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the reason I wanted to do it is because it's it's been a, a, a important part of my life for as long as I can remember. But I got pretty serious about eleven years ago uh, and started doing the P ninety X thing, and then Insanity, and then we've been members of gym when we could afford it. And I've got uh, a, I've got a gym here at home that's turned into my studio. So it's like now I have a studio that I can push the sound baffling back and I've got mirrors and I've got a pull up bar. <laughs> so right. It's right. It, it's a little bit of everything, but as the home studio thing has grown, my my gym space is sharing room with uh monitors and keyboards and interface and everything. I'm sitting in it right, right now. But I did my, you know, I just started a new program last week. It's like an 8-week program and so I did my workout today before our interview in anticipation of of asking you some questions about that. Cause I'm assuming it's still, because you don't work out, you know, you're not on a 90 day program and like, okay, I'm in shape now. What's the next thing in life? Yeah, no, it's a no, lifetime I, I, thing. Yeah. I, I, you know, there are several consistents in, uh, you know, constants in my life and staying physically active is not something that I, you know, think like, Oh, am I going to go to the gym this week? You know, it's, you know, what days am I going to the gym and is that going to change from last week? Cause yeah. if it does, I want to know well ahead of time, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and you know, right now my wife is with her mom right now. She's recovering from a surgery. So they're actually, they can't leave her apartment cause it's, a, it's an immune disorder. So, oh, um, wow. so I've actually got the, I've got the kids, uh, my sister's here helped me during the day and then I've got the kids. So now I'm getting up, you know, because I knew during that three week period, okay, well, my workout's going to be the thing that gives. And so I said, okay, well, I'll get up at 4.30 in the morning before anybody's up. Oh, my gosh. And my sister's, you know, she's staying here in our spare bedroom. So she'll be asleep here. So I'll go to the 24-hour gym. And by 5.15, I'll be back here because it's like two minutes from my house. 
And, you know, so that's the kind of thing whenever, you know, everything shut down for COVID, uh, my workout was the first thing I went to Walmart when they finally closed my gym. Uh, I, uh, I went to Walmart and the only thing they had left was a stability ball and two 25 pound plates. And I was like, all right, well, there's the gym. <laughs> and so I was, I was out in my driveway doing chin ups on my truck bed, doing, you know, push ups on my trailer to get some, in, some decline in doing, you know, push ups on the ground with my feet on the bed of my truck to get some incline in that, yep. you know, yep. I was, I was sprinting down my driveway. Like to me, it's not a, you know, it's just not been an option of, am I going to stay physically active? I'm, I'm just going to do that. My weight may fluctuate a little bit heavier, a little bit lighter. You know, look, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I, you know, I got, I got that dad bod rocking, man. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that right and hard. And I could go for a six pack of abs, but if that means that I have to give up, like, you know, Friday night date night with Kelly, and we can't have cheese and chips. Well, that sucks, and I don't want to do that. So, I'll just. Yeah. I'll just keep rocking that dad bod, you know? Well, um, it, it, but it, but it, there's so many other benefits just like, and I think there's a lot of drummers out there that really relate to that because it's such a physical instrument. And I think a lot of times we, we kind of thrive on that, you know, the physicality of drumming and, and all the things that, that it does to make us feel a certain way after we've had a great gig or great practice session or something like that, that then sometimes turns into... I did a... Yeah. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. you, you just made me think of an episode for YouTube that I did with Pete Parada. Oh, who cool. Was the, uh, drummer for, for The Offspring. Yeah, yeah, he's been on here. And um, He's great. Yeah, he's a great dude. And I thought it would be really fun to calculate uh, using, you know, uh, you know, using all of the uh, BMI and all that stuff, like doing the measurements and that kind of thing. Uh, that a personal trainer would do for you. How many calories is burned during a typical song? You can do that by adding up the BPMs that they're playing at, what that gets their heart rate up to. And people can say, well, you can estimate that. But there's now actually a drumming doctor that is measuring that stuff. And turns out her measurements are coming right alongside what I estimated with Pete's, which is kind of reassuring to myself (laughs) as my calculations were right. Um, But he was burning... Uh, he was burning as much as an Olympic soccer player does in a match uh, every night when he played. The problem there was an Olympic soccer team will play like, you know, one match a week. Whereas as a touring drummer, you may play five or six shows in a night if you're on tour. And Pete, it was, he said it was interesting for him to look at that. He said, because my wife was, he said, I come back from the tour and she's just shoving food in my body because he said, I come back five to 15 pounds lighter than when I left. Yeah. And he said, I tell her, like, I don't know how this happens because I'm eating burgers and fries and, sh-, you know, like I'm not, he, but that's how it happens is three hours of a punk rock show in a stadium. That's how you lose. <laughs> he's, you know, a, he's a little guy. 180 BPM. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's you know? a little guy. And so we calculated his, you know, how fast the songs were, how long, all that stuff. It was it was pretty fun to do. I was doing uh, some gigs down on Broadway, uh, you know, over the last couple of years when I came off the road, and I really enjoy it. I enjoy the physical part of it, and ever since the shutdown, I've been, like, I'm starting to put on weight the way I never had to worry about before, I think, because I was just, yep. I was working out, and I was playing gigs. And uh, yep. so now I'm like, okay, and I know that my food... Now, our food, it's interesting because, you know, we're not eating out as much, and it's like we're cooking more at home, so it's more healthier options. But 
there's more food in the house uh, yeah. because we're eating more. So, uh, so it's like as soon as I get a little bit of a craving, I'm like hitting the fridge or whatever. So it's been a bit of a challenge, but I've, I've again, I started a new program and I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it because it's refocused my, my energy and I'm, 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 I'm on and I'm excited. But one of the questions I wanted to ask well. you was, um, as, as a drummer, I sometimes, and I'm, I'm, as I get older, I'm struggling with some things that I never had to struggle with. Like I pulled a tendon in my left hand, building a, a building a drum room in my new house, ironically. Mm-hmm. So about, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago, I pulled this tendon in my left hand and it really messed me up. I, I had a hard time gripping a stick for about a month and then I slowly healed. Well, I feel like it's starting to kind of bother me again. And uh, so I'm like, okay, now what am I doing outside of drumming or, or my technique as well? But is there something that I could be doing to make sure that I'm taking care of myself um, better? Is there certain workouts that I should avoid? Now I do yoga, I do uh, weightlifting, I run, um, I do cardio, do jump training, um, and the occasional mountain biking and stuff like that. And, and every time I do any of that stuff, I'm wearing gloves. I'm always trying to be conscious of how will this affect my tendons, my wrists, my, my drumming, my, you know, all those things. Is that something that you are thinking about or considering or any recommendations? Yeah. So as I've gotten older, um, and I'm, I'm only 39, I'm not like, I I don't consider myself very old at all. Actually, I don't feel (laughs) old. Um, but I, I, my training has changed from, um, me trying to lift as much as I can lift or me trying to maintain a certain, you know, uh, a, a certain eight pack of abs or, you know, have, you know, I just have kind of graduated from that to, I want to stay within this weight range and I want to have a lot of functionality. So I want, it's much more important to me that I can actually squat down and almost touch my butt to the ground with my feet flat on the floor in a squat than it is that I can squat, you know, 345 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's much more important to me that I can do that functional type of a stuff. Um, and um, so for me, I just, anytime I have an injury, I always give the body time to heal first before I force it back into whatever it's doing. And if it hurts, I tell people all the time, there's an old, you know, uh, an old advertisement or joke, you know, hey, doc, it hurts when I do that. Well, don't do that. You <laughs> right. know, and I always I always tell people that they're like, well, it hurts when I do this. And I'm like, well, stop doing that, you know, and whether that be playing in that way because their technique is bad. That's one example of like, hey, stop doing that. It's going to keep hurting or it hurts when I do that. And that that's your body's way of saying Hey, it's not quite time, not ready yet. And then you just back off and and you allow the body. The the body is such an amazing thing and the mind is such an amazing thing. And we have such an amazing capacity for for healing and it getting back to where it was um, that I think too often we just try to rush that. Whenever it comes to injuries, to tendons, to knees, ligaments, things like that, you would watch out for, and I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to play one on the internet. Everybody (laughs) just go consult a physician before you engage in any physical activity, all that stuff. Um, I, I try to avoid any impact type of type of activity. 
So one would be like, for instance, if I injured my wrist with the ligaments and stuff, I wouldn't be doing burpees where I drop down to the ground and my, my palms are hitting the ground and that's an impact type of a thing. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be doing any, any boxing, you know, those types yeah, of things where yeah. it's an impact thing. Same type of thing. If I, if I mess my knee up, I wouldn't be doing running because running is a weight bearing impact activity, high impact activity. So I go do something like swimming, you know? Right. Um, and, and I would, I would substitute that. But sometimes we have, we have those injuries. We just have to baby them and let them, let them heal. Um, as they will. Sometimes that takes a lot longer than we wish it would. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Gosh, it's amazing. It's so frustrating. I also, I will also say that we need to watch out for how much stress we have in our life and how we're dealing with that stress. Um, because that really translates to the muscles, um, to the body and it, and it creeps up in really weird ways. You know, oh, when I get stressed, my neck gets tight. Oh, my back goes out when I get stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those types of things, it can affect joints and ligaments because that stress, you know, our body, rather than dealing with that anger or that sadness or whatever that is, think that fight or flight kind of redirects that to this physical sensation of like, uh, how about we, you know, that back can tighten up and hurt a little bit. And that'll keep us from having to focus on this thing that we're angry about. Um and it works incredibly well. Pain tends to redirect our thinking. But anytime that kind of stuff starts happening, I also try to pay attention to the amount of stress I have in my life and, and making sure I'm dealing with all of that. Right. In a healthy way. I think a lot of times, you know, just as your body naturally re- reacts to stress uh, in, in negative ways or whatever, if we're not managing our stress, sometimes we try and get ahead of our body and manage it ourselves and self-medicate. And so that gets into, you know, abuse of alcohol and different types of substances substances that, uh, you know, a lot of us are, are so, uh, it's, it's, it's a big, it can unfortunately be a big component of, um, musicians and stuff like that. And I, I I know that, uh, it's something that a lot of us deal with. And especially now I heard, uh, or maybe it was a, a a meme or something, you know, at the end of this COVID shutdown, you could come out a, a chunk, a drunk, a hunk, or there was something else. I can't remember what the fourth one was, but, um, yeah, you know, well, you know, and, and, you know, alcohol is a funny one, especially when you're trying to achieve anything in life, because alcohol is a depressant that acts like a stimulant. And yeah. so whenever we're, ingesting it and i'll be the first to say i like having a good beer man i I like it the same way i like a good cup of coffee um but i've become very aware of how it affects me the next day not in i have a hangover or not like my mental state am i as creatively inspired as i would have been had i not had that beer or two last night Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with having a hangover because it is a depressant and so it acts like a stimulant in that your inhibitions go away and you have a good time but when you wake up, the lingering effects of even one beer, one drink is, and I don't know why we're on this, whatever, you know, uh, important the lingering stuff, effects man. of that, yeah. to me it is, the lingering yeah, effects yeah. of that are, I'm not as motivated, I'm kind of depressed about my life, now I'm not going to achieve as much as I thought I was going to with this day. You know what I'm saying? I don't like starting my day that far behind mm-hmm. um, the, the eight ball. I like starting ahead, and for me, 
sleep is super important. Getting to bed on time, getting that good seven or eight hours of sleep, waking up refreshed and not tired, not waking up behind the ball when it comes to being motivated because I decided to have a drink or I decided to consume too much sugar and I'm on this huge dip, you know, uh, from that sugar high. That's a, that's a real thing too. So I don't know. I think we just, you know, be careful about our, our state of mind and, and what we take in and how much sleep we get really has a lot to do with that. I'm yeah. pretty careful about that during my week. Here's a performance by David Northrup from his most recent solo record, Shapes. During the space solo, he's using the Bayer 5.5 by 12. Check it out. a fantastic drummer in his own right he's worked with me for years and he's a he's a staff teacher here at sds and helps handle the student load um he wanted me to do a podcast for a really long time and i love the voice format it's actually the it's actually the platform that i consume so i don't i consume some of youtube but a lot of that is uh informational in that like i need to change the starter on my son's atv how do i do that <laughs> you know that's my that's my youtubing um podcasting is something uh, that I that I love listening to, especially good podcasts. So I listen a lot to Tim Ferriss. I listen a lot to um, uh, history, hardcore history. Oh, yeah, um, Tim Carlin. And, uh, oh, yeah, I got huge. Man, I, I, you He's know, great. I, I went down that rabbit hole big time. Um, He's so good. He's so good. Yeah. I, um, okay, so, so just for a second, because I'm with you on that. My only pet peeve is that every time he quotes somebody, he uses the same voice. And, he, you know, so sometimes yeah. I'll listen because uh, I do my podcasts. Uh, I, I have politics in the morning. I have like music or entertainment in the afternoon. And then I listen to like history and especially World War Two stuff at night. So I'm listening to Dan Carlin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so he'll be talking about Genghis Khan and he'll be doing this. And then and then one of his generals said, quote, and then the people. Came. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> yeah. And then and, and, and his wife walked up to him and said, honey, when are you going to be home? And you're like, well, it's the same voice. You're all, why so loud? And then it, it wakes me up. I'm like, Dan, I was almost asleep, but you're, <laughs> sorry. I know. That's my Dan that's, Carlin. You know, to me, <laughs> that's part, part of it is his, de- one of the reasons I listen to him is because of his delivery yes. and how he uses his voice yeah. to really draw the listener in. I think it's, you know, uh, I think he does a fantastic job with it. He's great. Um, He's great. Yeah, I resisted the podcast format for a long time, not because I didn't like it, but because I wanted to, if I did something, I needed it to be unique and something I felt I was doing well. And the a lot of the podcasts in our market are interview format. And yeah. I, I, I like interview format. Um, I don't think I'm the best at it. And so... For me, if there's someone that does it better, I want them to do that, and then I'll do something else. And I was just really, I've, I, I've told this story before, but like I was as enthused to do a podcast and create more mindless, you know, content uh, the same way, you know, that kid that throws himself down on the floor and goes limp in Walmart, and his mom like drags him <laughs> out, like. Yeah. That's how enthused I was to do a podcast. I was just like, <laughs> oh, I don't want to do it, you know, because 
I just felt like people were doing it better. Mm-hmm. And he kept on, kept on. And finally, I've, I have recorded voicemails for my students for years. And um, I, we, we were cataloging them for no particular reason. And I told Tim, I said, hey, what if we just made the podcast where I was just answering these questions? Like, I'm already doing that. So why don't we just make that the podcast? Would that work? And he mocked up an episode, and we both liked it. We were like, yeah, this works. So my goal is to be um, that old guy that always is saying the same thing over and over, and eventually you go, hey, he's been saying that for, you know, 20 years. Maybe we should <laughs> maybe we should try that. Maybe we should look at our technique. <laughs> maybe he's you know, just going to be like that old guy. It's probably your technique, you know, that's like yelling in the corner and, uh, so it's been a fun format because I love the voice format. I really do love the voice format. That's awesome. Um, and we're, we're, we're trying a few different things, but um, I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed it so far. Well, it, I have not had a chance to listen to it. I just I stumbled upon it, and I was really surprised that I did not know about it. So I'm excited to check it out. I already know that your delivery is so, so good. And, and again, referencing your interview with Nick. I know that your father being a pastor and the opportunity to grow up with, with a great orator has informed you on how to be a good presenter Uh, on top of that and being articulate and everything. There's also this underlying looseness and humor to your presentations that make it so comfortable. And so I'm I'm really excited to check out your podcast uh, for sure. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, what's the rest of 2020 look like for y'all? Any big things coming up or? Well, the rest of 2020. So, uh, beginning of this year, we brought on a new community manager, uh, Grant Jenkins. He's awesome. And so, um, it's been fun getting to work with him, although it's been a little weird with the shutdown and not actually being able to work in person with them. Sure. Um, 2020 is fun because we'll finish up the studio remodel, hoping, uh, hopefully we'll be in there working in the next few weeks. And so that's a big step. I'll go from working in a 10 by 11 room to working with people that are employed by me in the same building that I own that we spent, you know, seven months remodeling. Um, it's a lot of fun because it's an old historic building. So we're restoring it to its original storefront look and keeping the hardwood floors and the tongue and groove ceiling and the shiplap walls and uh, but it's going to be a recording studio you know it's going to be a fun creative space so for me that's the big thing is we get to move in there and then see what that space is going to open up creatively as well as um, uh, we'll we'll probably be moving into doing some in-person camps and structuring those in a little bit of a different way than than we've seen so far so the big thing right now is continuing to to grow the business and grow the brand uh, continue to get better at teaching and better at my delivery and, and how we serve the students um, and then move into this new building, which I think is going to take this whole thing into a new phase because up until now I've built everything that uh, is happening with the business out of a you know 10 by 11, 10 by 12 room. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if, if I, you know, I just thought, well, if I can do that, I wonder what I can do if I have a whole building, you know, and we'll see. That's maybe I can do nothing. Maybe that's maybe I've reached my pinnacle in my 10 by 11 room and that's, you know, what I can do. But I'm excited to see where that goes. You know? Man, I am, too. I, I 
hopefully when when things kind of get back to normal and and you get this open I, i'd love to see what you've got it would be amazing i'd love to have you come down especially be and man under normal circumstances i would i would try and arrange this that we could be in person but i uh and and we're gonna we're gonna stitch this thing together so it sounds great and it's gonna sound like we're in the same room i'm gonna i'm gonna add some you know natural bird sounds and other things like that we're gonna, you know, <laughs> i don't know i'm desperate for being to, to be more creative here that's you know just do, do the do the walt disney and add the bird sounds in there <laughs> that's right whatever it takes man um, exactly. But, but Stephen, man, thank you so much. This has been a joy, and uh, it's been fun digging in deeper to what you do. And um, you know, you may see me on there someday, signing up for one thing or another. <laughs> Just your your range of students is 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 broad, and you offer some really great stuff, especially for those that want to continue to learn, continue to grow. And we just, the drum community appreciates you, man. Well, thanks for having me. And I really will, you know, take an opportunity to say thanks for what you do. And thanks for um, taking the time and the effort to make content for, you know, the working drummer stiffs that, that we are, that we can all improve and, and up our game. Um, this would, it would have been a huge resource for me coming up whenever I was coming up trying to awesome. kind of get in the game. So I really do appreciate what you do. Thanks, man. It's a good resource personally, too. <laughs> you know, for sure. But again, man, um, good luck in the coming weeks as your wife is busy and um, with family and, and all things. And, and keep in touch with us and, uh, and be well. And hopefully we'll get a chance to, uh, to meet in person and all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, man, once things uh, kind of open back up on your end of the world, you know. Uh, and you're down this way. Let's hit lunch or something. I'd that'd be love to. that'd be great. That'd be great. Well, cool, man. Be well, and uh, we'll talk soon. You too. Okay. See you, yeah. Stephen. Bye bye. So there you go. My conversation with Stephen Taylor. If you are looking to expand your skill set in drumming, I encourage you to go to stephensdrumshed.com. Check out and see what he's got. As we discussed in this interview, Stephen covers a wide range of subjects that are uh, helpful to drummers of all skill levels and experience. I encourage you to check that out. He's got a great system and a great team around him. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albeda's interview with Jack Jones. He's an Atlanta veteran drummer who uh, recently has been doing a lot of videos with Rick Beato. If you're not familiar with Rick Beato, All Things Music, his YouTube channel has been amazing. If you're interested in music history, music theory, all things Rick Beato, all things music. Jack Jones has been one of the drummers he's had on there. So I'm real excited to check that out. I'm a huge Rick Beato fan. So uh, stay tuned for that. Also want to do a quick shout out to our friend James Beyer and his wonderful snare drums. As you've probably heard, we've done a bit of a campaign here to promote his snare drums and have included some fun music clips with some uh, former guests and our friend uh, Mark Beckett has been doing the snare drum of the week. There are links in the show notes uh, to the Buyer snare drum website as well as links to other information like where you can pick up David Northrup's CD shapes where he uses the James Buyer snare drum. I appreciate everyone listening. Uh, please stay safe, stay positive and uh, keep practicing and creating and hope to see you around real soon. Bye-bye.